Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Rungren Radio, where we bring you a little temporary sanity in this crazy world. Tonight we got a special edition. This is the first of the album series, Todd Rungren's albums. This is the solo album, Runt, his very first album. We'll be reviewing that tonight. We're going to find out some things you may not know about this album. What was it like back in the day in 1970 when this was recorded, in 1971 when it was released? What was going on back then? Did they do any touring? Was it a band or not? What does the term runt mean? We're going to try to get some answers to that. We're going to be talking to lots of people that were there, and this is going to be a really special show. So what we're going to do, instead of doing announcements first, we're going to go ahead and run through the show and the review, and then after the review is over, it's going to take about an hour. We will be taking phone calls if you'd like to call in and talk about runt, or if you're listening and we're there and I was inaccurate on something or somebody else was, feel free to call in. And also... We will be going over the announcements. We have a few. So stick around. Chat room is open. Here we go with the review of Runt. This is, of course, Todd's first solo album. He had already been with three bands before. Money back in 1965, Woody's Stop in 66, and then, of course, Naz in 1967. And then when Todd left Naz, he did some work such as putting up lights and things at shows and then got into production where he was very successful working for Albert Grossman and that gave him an opportunity to have some studio time to record a solo album, which he, of course, did, and it was pretty successful with a top 20 hit known as We Gotta Get You a Woman, which we'll also be talking about. In case you didn't know, Todd wrote all the material, handled the production and arrangements on this album, played most of the instruments, and thanks to the magic of multi-tracking, he provided the voices as well. A lot of characters were involved in this. You may know of Hunt and Tony Sells, Moogie Klingman. We'll be hearing from them tonight find out what it was like back then. So let's just get started with this. Let's talk about a couple basic facts, and then we're going to get into the meat of the subject. All right, so this was produced, or I'm sorry, it was recorded in Los Angeles at ID Sound and engineered by Jim Lowe. It was also recorded in New York some at the record plant and engineered by Jack Adams. So this is a solo album that involves several different people that Todd played with. It wasn't the same bass player wasn't the same drummer. They mixed it up a lot. So if you want to find out more about that, of course, you can do that on the liner notes. I want to get in some things that hopefully you do not know. And we're going to break down each song first. Then we're going to look at some things about what it was like working with Todd, what recording was like, what about these extra cuts you may have heard about on the Run album. Was it a band? Was it not? All those good things we're going to get into. Let's start first with the songs, of course, the most important thing. The very first song on the CD is called Broke Down and Busted. We're going to find out a little bit about that because what we know is, according to the liner notes, is that Todd believes that that song sounded a lot like a Fleetwood Mac song called Rattlesnake Shake. According to Todd, Hunt and Tony copied that a little bit, so let's see if they agree with that statement. Todd had basically said something about that it was you guys, you and your brother, copying Rattlesnake Shake by Fleetwood Mac. <coughs> Do you agree with that? What's the story behind that? We may, may have been... Um, you know, the stuff that was happening at the time when we did that record, just like, um, you know, whatever's happening now, people tend to borrow or steal or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, grooves or whatever. So thank God Kelly Clarkson wasn't happening at the time. <laughs> uh, not that we would have sold from her. There you go. That was Hunt Sales. Here's a little bit of Broke Down and Busted. No, I heard no 
Broke Down and Busted from the album Runt. The next song on Runt was Believe in Me, a nice piano ballad that had a little bit of Laura Nero chord sequence sound to it, which she was a big influence for Todd, which we'll talk about that as well later on the show. Let's hear a clip from Believe in Me. album Runt, Todd Rugren. Next up is We Gotta Get You a Woman, which we'll be talking about for a while here because it was the first top 20 hit for Todd Rugren. That was in November of 1970. This song has got a lot of history. One thing is that it was about Paul Fishkin, who was Todd's roommate at the time and also worked at the record company. Paul Fishkin's Bad Luck with the Fair Sex. There was a little bit of a controversy behind this song, We Gotta Get You a Woman. A lot of people felt like, including fans like myself for a long time, always assume that the part where he says, talking about things about that special one, they may be stupid, but they sure are fun, that he was referring to women, you know, just in a kidding way. But ultimately, Todd has been interviewed and has said that the phrase was actually supposed to match things and not women, uh, that part of the verse. So the controversy died down eventually, but there was a little bit of stuff going on back then that I thought you might like to know about. So let's listen to a little bit of that song, and then we're going to listen to some of the guys that were there talking about it. Here we go. Leroy, boy, is that you? I thought your post-banging days were through. Sunken eyes and full of sighs. Tell no lies. You get wise. I tell you now we're going to. All right, here's what Hunt Sells had to say about the Fishkin story behind We Gotta Get You a Woman. Okay, how involved was Paul Fishkin with the recording of the album? He wasn't involved at all. Did you get a laugh out of We Gotta Get You a Woman since it was supposed to be about him and his yeah. women? Paul and Todd were living together at the time in uh, New York or eventually. They were living together. We used to hang out quite a bit, Paul. Yeah, it's, you know, like any good writer, you just look around you and... There's a lot of good material around. All right, that was Hunt Sells. Here's his brother, Tony Sells. He's very proud of that song. Uh, I think uh, we got to get you a woman. Because it went on to be such a long-running uh, tune. It's uh, sort of a standard song. And, and uh, uh, you know, I've, I've heard it, what, now for, what, 25 years or something? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it always brings me joy to hear that on, on the radio because it brings back memories of my being in the studio with my brother and Todd. You know, so it's, uh, it's a, it's a good, uh, good vibes on that. Of course, Tony was a bass player for part of this album, and Hunt played drums, in case you didn't know. These are the Sells brothers, the sons of comedian Soupy Sells, you may have heard of. Here's another comment from Hunt about We Gotta Get You a Woman. You mentioned We Gotta Get You a Woman. It still sounds good today. It's a great song. There you go, Hunt Sales. We've heard from Hunt and Tony. We'll hear more from them later on. Let's see what the man, Todd Rugger himself, has to say about We Gotta Get You a Woman and the Paul Fishkin connection. 
This is from an interview that was taken or done on the radio in Minnesota on public radio last December, 07, before Todd played over there for a concert. It was actually a song that I wrote about Paul Fishkin, the aforementioned Paul Fishkin. When I moved to New York, um, I got a loft down on 13th Street, and if you've ever seen the movie Taxi Driver, that's the doorway where... um, Robert De Niro confronts Harvey Keitel <laughs> over the and shoots him in the hand, I think, or something. But um, that's where I live, and it was really like that, <laughs> gunshots and screaming every night. But um, Paul still lived in Philadelphia at the time, you know, and I needed a roommate, I said, and he wanted to get more seriously into the music business, and so we became roommates. And both of us were relatively new to New York, so we would go and hang around St. Mark's Place and stuff like that and look at girls. We were both pretty young at the time. And I uh, just wrote the, wrote the song essentially about him and I hanging around in, on the Lower East Side. Looking looking for a woman. Yeah, just two lonely bachelors. And uh, it, like I say, it was a total fluke. I didn't expect it to be a hit. The next song on the, the album was Who's that man? Let's hear it. That's Who's That Man on Runt. As you heard earlier, Broke Down and Busted. Todd felt like that was a song that Tony and Hunt took a little bit from Fleetwood Mac. Well, according to Hunt, here is a song. In Hunt's opinion, somebody else took advantage of that. Let's see who that is. There's the beginning of one of the songs that sounds, I mean, it's probably closer to Little Richard or something, but there's a song called Who's That Man, and there's a drum intro. And it's not much different than what Led Zeppelin did a little while longer with uh, with one of their songs, Rock and Roll. Okay, all right. Which came after Runt. There you go. Not bad if that's in fact true. Love that imitation, the most sincere form of flattery. All right, so we move on to Once Burned, which is a kind of a, uh, they call it in the liner notes, a creepy song. At this point, the band... Bassist Rick Danko and drummer LeVon Helm were on this particular song. Todd recorded his voice at a slower speed than the instruments, and that was not the result of electronic treatment. It was just Rugrin, as he says, farting around with different ways of singing. Aping singers, I thought I had a curious style. All right, so let's hear a little bit of Once Burned. up on the album is Devil's Bite. Apparently had an atmosphere of drug-induced paranoia, but according to Todd, he was clean as a whistle. 
So here we go. Let's see what you think about Devil's Bite. Here's a clip. All right, next up is a popular song called I'm in the Click. Moogie Klingman, later of Utopia, one of the rounds of Utopia, uh, was on electric piano for this song. It's kind of got a Zappa-type feel to it, and it was intended as a swipe at Greenwich Village's designers and seamsters. Pretty good stuff. And let's see what Moogie had to say about the, the putting that song together. I'm in the click. It was Bob Moses on drums. I think I helped contract him because I was a big Keith Jarrett fan. And I got him down. And I got the bass player down, too. So, yeah, I did contract Johnny Miller on bass. I was on uh, keyboards, Todd on guitar. And uh, Todd was going to a lot of clubs in New York City. And there were a lot of clickish policies at the clubs. And I think that's what the song was about. He was in Texas, Kansas City. He a lot of different scenes. Did Todd just come up with this song and say, this is what I want you to do with it? How much involvement did you have in the actual, you know? Yeah, he came up with the song, and he really couldn't tell the jazz drummer, Bob Moses, what to do. He was a very free drummer. And Todd had all the lines worked out, and it was called I'm in the Click, and he didn't have the words. He would never sing the songs when he recorded them. He would just have the music, and he would tell you the title, and you would have to imagine what the words would be and how they fit with the music. Except on live sessions, like the Hello, It's Me, where he would sing and play live. So it was Bob Moses, I was on keyboard, Johnny Miller, very famous New York studio bass player on bass, and Todd on guitar. And, and it, it was just great to play with Bob Moses because he was Keith Jarrett's drummer at the time, who was my absolute keyboard idol, jazz drummer. That's the whole story, man. I think we did it a record plant.
that's haunting indeed. <laughs> There's a lot more to the song, of course, if you take a listen. But that is a clip for you for your enjoyment. All right, next up. This one is a triple medley. Features Baby Let's Swing, The Last Thing You Said, and Don't Tie My Hands, which we'll find out more about Baby Let's Swing a little later on and what significance it had in another version of this album. But if you don't know, the first song, which is Baby Let's Swing, paid homage to Laura Nero, who was a big influence on Tide, and you'll notice her name mentioned several times in this song. Todd thought for a couple of years he had an infatuation with her, but admits they... He thought it might work, but um, or they might have some kind of an ongoing relationship or be friends, but none of that actually happened. Basically, the two of them were different people with two different dynamics. But they also had a lot of respect for each other, and Todd ended up working with him as a production assistant on her album Mother Spiritual from 1984. So let's listen to those three songs, a little clip from all of them. Here we go. For those of you familiar with the song, Baby Let's Swing, you will know that there is some screaming going on at the first part of that song, and we wanted to get to the bottom of that, and I was able to do that thanks to Tony Sells. Do you know who the person was that was screaming at the start of the song, Baby Let's Swing? Uh, it was my brother, Hunt Sales. How did that come about? Do you remember much about it? Well, it's uh, just a Hunt's a big uh, James Brown fan, and he was doing the his James Brown imitation in the studio, which he does sometimes. You know, he was just goofing around. I mean, it was all—it was always pretty light with Todd as well. We, the three of us, uh, Todd, myself, and my brother Hunt, used to goof around quite a bit and knock around New York City and uh, and Los Angeles when Todd came out here. So we were just having fun, and we started playing it, and he started doing that uh, sort of uh, doo-wop beginning. To it, you know. I mean, it had that sort of doo wop sound to it, you know. Right. 
and uh, so Hunter started, and uh, we all broke up. But Todd, so yeah, let's, let's leave that in. Okay, so it was unplanned. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it was unplanned. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, some of the best stuff is always unplanned, isn't it? All right, there was a scream for you, or screams, from Mr. Hunt Sale. Tony had a little bit also to say about the song Don't Tie My Hand. I did. I did. I also played guitar on uh, uh, Don't Tie My Hands, the lead part at the end of that. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah. And, um, and uh, but, you know, I always love Todd's guitar playing. So. There we go, Tony Sale talking about Don't Tie My Hands. The next song up and the final song on the real runt, we'll find out more why I'm calling it the real runt in a little while, was nine minutes plus. It's called Birthday Carol. Todd and Naz, all three of their albums had climax with long songs, so pretty much Todd felt like every album was in that way when he was thinking about doing this and was, according to him, was subliminally (laughs) still thinking every album must end with a day in the life. So let's hear a little bit of Birthday Carol. the songs from The Real Runt. There was also an early rejected test pressing of Runt. According to the liner notes, there are approximately 5,000 of these in circulation, but the real number may be 500, which we're going to hear about here in a minute. It had a different running order and featured a full-length version of Baby Let's Swing with two extra verses, omitting the other two elements of the medley that we heard earlier. This alternative run also included an early version of Hope I'm Around, which, as you know, maybe... That, that ended up on the ballad of Todd Rundgren, which was his second LP. And it also had an eerily sparse ballad called Say No More, which was left off the final version of the album, which Todd said was a real tough decision. Here's a great Todd Rundgren clip. This is the interview from Minnesota. This is Todd explaining what happened, why there was an extra version of the Run album. Um, some people were fortunate uh, I guess especially if you're a collector, to get um, a version of the record that ha- was accidentally pressed and released uh, and was not act- not really the official version. The consensus was, after the record had been mastered the first time, that um, one side of the record was, was too long and wouldn't sound as good, you know, because in the old days, the length of the record had a direct impact on the quality of the sound on the disc which is one of the reasons why I don't buy totally into this whole LPs are warmer myth. You know, LPs also skip, <laughs> you know, and things like that. And so um, we went back and trimmed out um, a few things to make the second side of the album shorter, and that was the actual official album. So let's talk a little bit, before I want to play Say No More for you, about this early press rejection. There was a fan named Mark Nathan who purchased one of these and had an issue with it and sent a letter to Todd. Let's find out about that story. I was just a kid in uh, in a part of New York City called Forest Hills, Queens. I was a fan of Naz, and um, the Runt album came out, 
and I went to a local record store. Actually, it was a department store called Alexander's, and uh, purchased the album. And um, as Todd fans know, and uh, as you probably know, there were uh, six songs on the label on the A side, and there were four songs, which included the three-song medley, on the B side. And that was how the label copy read, and that was how the inner sleeve read, and uh, the, the back of the album jacket. But yet, my album had seven tracks on side A and five tracks on side B. So, um, you know, I was kind of interested, and Ampex Records was at 555 Madison Avenue in Manhattan. So I wrote a fan letter, and uh, I addressed it to Todd Rundgren and sent it to Ampex Records, and I asked about the uh, version of the record that I had purchased. And uh, I guess about three weeks or so uh, passed, and I came home from school. I was a uh, I was attending Forest Hills High School at the time, and uh, my mom said, you got a package in the mail, and it was from Ampex Records, and it was another copy of the Runt album, and there was a handwritten note from a fellow named Paul E. Fishkin, Eastern Promotional Representative, Ampex Records. Now, of course, I later found out that Paul was not only the promotion person covering the East Coast for Ampex Records, but he was also uh, Todd's roommate. They shared an apartment down on uh, East 13th Street in uh, New York City. And uh, he was also Leroy Boy, and we got to get you a woman. So um, basically the note, and uh, I'd like to believe that I still have it somewhere, but it is 37, 38 years ago. The note told me that uh, the version of the album that I had purchased was from a rejected master, and, of course, at age 15, I'm not particularly sure I knew what rejected master meant, but uh, he said that it was a collectible, that only 500 of them had uh, been pressed, and that he was sending me a copy of the album as it was intended, and to put the other one away, and to keep spreading the good word about Todd. So... Um, I was thrilled. I got a new copy of the record. This time the uh, track listing matched the label copy and the, the back jacket and the inner sleeve. And I did put the other one away. And uh, a few weeks later, I took a, a subway trip into Manhattan and went up to 555 Madison Avenue looking for Paul E. Fishkin, Eastern Regional Promotion Representative for Ampex Records. And he wasn't in that day. But um, there were a couple of guys that worked at the label that were there, and they talked to me. And then I came back the next day, and uh, Paul still wasn't there, but that particular day they needed someone to pack some albums into some record uh, envelopes. And then the next day I showed up, and I typed up some mailing labels and took the records that I had packed to a post office on 53rd Street. And uh, by the fourth day, I guess they realized that they weren't going to get rid of me. <laughs> so they uh, gave me a list of radio stations with the phone numbers and the names of the program directors and music directors. And at age 16, I became Mark from Ampex Records. Uh, at that point, about the youngest promotion person in the record business. And um, I, uh, 37, 38 years later, what is it now? I guess it's 37 years later. I'm still in the record business, and it was all because uh, Paul Fishkin answered a fan letter that I wrote to Todd Rundgren about a uh, rejected master of the Runt album. <laughs> it's a great story. Now, That's my story. The liner notes say there were 5,000 of these made. Is it 500 or 5,000? Well, I heard 500. I mean, I was always led to believe it really had to be 500. It couldn't have been 5,000 because in those days, uh, I was I was eventually privy to actual record sales, and uh, 
there's no way. I, I, I can't necessarily remember the exact sales figures of the Runt album, but you know they were they were less than a hundred thousand at the time, and uh, that was a very very rare pressing of that record. And I, I don't I don't believe there were more than five hundred. All right, that's Mark Nathan. What a great story. Here's the full version of Say No More. This was never available on CD, so this is a burn from an album. So forgive me for the not-so-perfect sound, but it's good enough. It's a great song, too, by the way. Here it goes. That is Say No More from the extra press or incorrect press of Runt. So now you've heard it. If you didn't hear it on the bootleg show, we did a couple weeks ago. Okay, so let's move into the recording of this album and how some of the people got involved with it, how they met Todd, what it was like recording this album. We'll start with Hunt Sells. He's going to tell us a little bit about how he met Todd. My brother and I were living in Los Angeles. Prior to Los Angeles, we were living in New York, and that's where I met Todd. Met him at a club called Steve Paul Scene, mm-hmm. and it was a club where in New York off of Eighth Avenue. And you know, you'd see Led Zeppelin would be there, and Jeff Beck and Janis Joplin and Hendrix. Everyone would be hanging out, and I was down there hanging out, and Todd was down there. We ended up jamming, and uh, my brother. And that's why I met him. So how were you and your brother? He was 17, I think, at the time. How were y'all I was, this I was 15. Uh-huh. I don't know. I was, you know, been gigging. I've been playing since I was six. 
and I went professional at 11 and was signed to Roulette Records, Morris Levy, who ran that and recording from, you know, from the age of 11. So but by the time I hooked up with Todd, I'd had some experience. So I've been doing it for a while, you know, playing gigs at that age and recording. I met Todd in New York, and then we back out to L.A. He came out and stayed with us. All right. Here is how Tony Sales met Todd, and then that's going to be followed by Andy Smart, who is also involved, Norman Smart, you may know, who is also involved with this album. Well, the way we met Todd was uh, we had a friend uh, named Andrew Jansen who worked with, he was a clothier, he, or he was in the garment industry. He worked with a place called Stone the Crows from England. It was a shop uh, on, uh, I forget the area there, Carnaby Street or something. And, and anyway, in, in those years, this was like 68, 67 or something, um, you know, they had the patch work boots and the snakeskin boots and the velvet pants and all that stuff that was just coming out at that point, uh, that kind of fashion. And uh, Andy was into all that stuff, So, uh, and as as was Todd and, uh, and the sales brothers. So we were all hanging out and, and, and doing that stuff. And Andy called us uh, one night, just before we knew Todd, and he says, listen, uh, I'm going down to this club called Steve Paul's Scene. Uh, my friend Todd is coming tonight. I want you guys to meet him. He's, uh, there's going to be a jam session there. Uh, and we, we thought, yeah, great, wonderful, you know. And I mean, at the time, I think we were like, uh, Hunt was uh, 15 and I was 16. You know, obviously we had school, but we didn't care. So we went down to jam with, down, down to the club to jam with Todd. And this club was owned by Steve Paul. It was it was really, a, a really, really wild place. I mean, the night that we... Uh, we got there. Van Morrison was there. Hendrix was there. Janis Joplin was there. Uh, I think a couple of guys from Led Zeppelin. I mean, it was like that kind of place. It's, everybody was there. I mean, it was like, um, so we, we got up with Todd and started playing. And it was great. It was great. We all, we all were fans of Cream as well. So we were jamming along those uh, in, improvisational lines, you know, mm-hmm. it, it worked. It just worked. We were having fun. So after we uh, we got up with him, we we hung out for a little bit, and then uh, a girl named Sharice, who was a friend of uh, Hunt's, uh, took us over to uh, Electric Ladyland Studio to one of Jimmy's sessions. So the Sales Brothers were at one of Hendrix's sessions for House Burning Down on the Electric Ladyland album. It was funny. I looked over and, and Hunt was sitting there having drinks with Hendrix. Hendrix had this uh, like six-inch uh, plank of wood with like five shots of tequila on it. And he said, yeah, give the boy a Coca-Cola. Uh, you know. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was really funny. And so we went over to the stations. And, and then after that, so then a couple of months, or a month later maybe it was, we, uh, Hunt and I, moved back to Los Angeles. We were living in New York. We came back to Los Angeles, and we got a call from Todd, and he said, listen, I'm going to come out there to do my uh, album. Would you guys like to do the album with me? And we said, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. So we, uh, and that was the Run album. We recorded it at a uh, studio here called, at the time, ID Sound. It was initials for a guy, uh, Ivan, Ivan David or something, hit Sound, and uh, on La Brea, I guess a, the Beach Boys had recorded at this studio, a bunch of different good acts. It was, it was a wonderful place. It was an old, older design place with tile floors, and uh, it was, you don't see the kind of equipment that they had there anymore. It's all changed, you know. All right. Norman Smart's up next. Indy Smart, who is not credited anywhere I can find on the Runt um, notes here from the re-release that Castle Music did in 1999. The liner notes. He is nowhere to be found. He's definitely on the ballad of Todd Rundgren, and if you listen to what he's saying here, he clearly was also involved with Front. Here's Norman Smart. Yeah, he was producing an album with uh, Ian and Sylvia. It was called it was, the band was called the Great Speckled Bird, and I was in that band. And he had Albert Grossman as a manager, and Albert Grossman also managed Ian and Sylvia. So he fixed it up for him to produce the band as well. 
because Todd was getting known as a producer. So at any rate, we uh, we started hanging out together during the lunch breaks, and then after about a week, we just started recording when everybody else was gone, just the two of us. I'd play drums and sing, and he'd sing and play everything else, mostly piano and guitar. And we cut about a half an album's worth of stuff just on the lunch breaks, and we just, you know, started messing around, and we were just doing it for fun. And he had already started the rump thing because he had already recorded uh, We Gotta Get You a Woman. And he had to put out an album behind it. So he's just part of the stuff that we did there. These several songs you did there in Lunch Breaks. Were those part of the run album? Is that what you're saying? I, th- I think that's what they ended up being, yeah. Okay. So that's... So then, and then he just decided to bring in different people, I guess, for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. And but then after after that, I was pretty much his exclusive drummer for a number of years. Right. After that, you know, I was I was too busy to work with him all the time. You know. Then after that, you know, we got to hanging out more, and I did a number of records with him. Mostly, Todd was always the captain of everything. He basically would tell everybody, by and large, what to play. Your idea of Runt was that that's just the name of Vile. It was never a band. No. Well, uh, it was uh, he and Hunt and Tony Sales were going to make it a band. They, they started out to do it, but something happened where it just didn't work out right, and I don't know what it was. But there was a falling out there somehow. They could probably tell you more about it than I could. Okay. But they start. They had a whole concept for it and everything, and then somehow it fell apart. All right, we're going to learn more about that in a little while. Before then, let's keep talking about the recording. I'm going to let you hear some clips. This is Tony Sells first, Hunt Sells second, and then Tony Sells third again. So here we go. This is all about recording the album Run. When we did the sessions, they were we we went uh, pretty fast on this. I mean, it wasn't we didn't spend any time on on this recording as as Hunt and I never do. I, I don't. It's always surprising me when I I meet guys say, "Oh yeah, you know, we took about five months to do this record." And I go, "Why? You know, <laughs> well, how, how many how many takes can you do? Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay, how, how much can you lay on the floor? How long can you lay on the floor? What is that? You know? So we did the run album in just a couple of weeks. Did Todd lay out everything in the demos and plot it all? What there were no was, demos. There were no demos? We would go in the studio, here's the song, and play the chords, fool around with it, come up with an arrangement, and then record it. So was there room for input from other people like yourself? Yeah. You know, we put our parts on there uh, within the structure of what he's trying to do. See, I had had experience doing some sessions and playing, so, I mean, not as much as I have now. But I still, you know, had been playing for a while, and we went in there like a session. Uh, we'd been jamming before then, you know, just uh, playing and, and getting to know each other in, in that context. So, and like I said, he was he was staying with us at our house when he was putting the record together. So there was, you know, there was some kind of uh, connection there. And basically, you take that with you into the studio and keep going. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't like showing up. So it doesn't really matter either, you know, if one shows up on a session for someone who they don't know. Okay, you show up to play on someone's session and, and make it happen. But uh, we, we'd had a connection because of meeting and then jamming, jamming in New York and then jamming out in L.A. So by the time we got to the studio, we had an idea what everyone could do. Okay, what are the songs? Okay. Here's the verse. Here's the chorus. Play the stuff down, and 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 it, and it meshed. So opposed to some of his later records, where he plays all the instruments and does everything himself. How much of that of Rump do you think was recorded with all the musicians together versus overdubs? All of it. They were all every. We went in there within a week, if I remember, within a week or two. We'd do one to one song, two songs a day. Or go and redo them again, something again, if it wasn't right. But we'd go in there and play the stuff down, and within a few hours, 
we'd have a track, then he'd sit down and put guitars, you know, overdubs and guitars, and then sit there and put his vocals on. So most all those tracks were just playing live in the studio. Yeah, it pretty much we, we got into, we didn't rehearse beforehand, before we went to the studio. We got in the studio, we, Todd played through the song for us once or twice, just to show us the song. We just tackled it that way. We just uh, affixed our personalities to it. All right, you're listening to RunganRadio.com. We are reviewing the album Runt, Todd Rugren's first solo album. Okay, we're still into recording, and here's a story I bet a lot of you don't know about. This is a pretty funny story from a funny guy, Tony Sales, about a bad situation that occurred during the recording of this album. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, uh, completely about that story, but I do know that, uh, and I, I'm forgetting which track it was, Todd was uh, fooling around with a tape machine, and the tape snapped. Mm. And so he broke one of the, I mean, it was ruined. One of the songs was done. So it had to, it might have had to have been re-recorded or he spliced it together uh, mid-verse or, or bridge. You know, I, I'm not sure, but, I'm, so I'm not sure which song it was, but I know that one of them was ruined. Mm. Were you there when that happened? Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was a little devastating, I and mean, we just, you know, anytime you spend time painting a picture, man, and somebody puts his fist fist through it, it's sort of, you know, it doesn't. Uh, nobody's too happy. So how did and, Todd react when when that happened? Oh, he was he got tears in his eyes. I mean, it was like you know, we we, uh, you know, when you you really feel great about something, and, and all of a sudden it's it's destroyed, or you know, something's it's uh, damaged. I mean, it's uh, not a fun time. <laughs> you don't remember what song it was. No, I don't, man. but I, I just remember we we looked at each other and went, oh, my God, you know, ugh. You yeah, know. yeah, that's awful. That's oh, it was, yeah, it's horrible. Todd and I walked down the street and had a burrito. I mean, <laughs> you know, we had to get out of the studio. You know, it was just, it, it really was uh, hurtful. Yeah, well, I'm sure he probably re-recorded for that album or for another one, you got to think, but. Yeah. Very good stuff. All right, we'll finish the recording segment. We're going to. Listen to Indy Smart again telling us about it, what it was like working with Todd. The thing that's always interesting about working with Todd, it's just amazing to be there with him because, you know, he just, he can do anything, you know, and everybody's always been amazed, amazed like that. Great engineer, great songwriter, great singer. I mean, to him, it's like water running off the duck's back. He, he just, you know... And it's always been like that, you know. But I, I, I do know this. When the falling out with Hunt and Tony didn't have anything to do where he didn't think that they were any, were not as good or anything, it was something else, you know. And I don't know what it was, but it wasn't a judgment like they're not good enough to play with me or anything like that. Right. So even, it, at, even at that young age when he was doing Runt, you you saw all these things you just mentioned these positive things. Oh yeah, no no no. He always Todd's always been head and shoulders above everybody, and it just keeps getting wider. How about that from Indy Smart, Norman Smart, drummer, for some of Todd's songs. Very good stuff. All right, let's move on to more parts of the recording. But let's talk about some of the people that may have been around, some people involved in Todd's life at the time. One of them was Miss Christine, who many of you may know, Todd's girlfriend for a little while, who committed suicide at a very young age. Here's what Tony Sells had to say about Miss Christine. Well, Miss Christine was uh, hanging with Todd. She was a strange bird, a nice, a nice, a nice girl, but uh, very frail and a little, little strange. I mean, I, you know, at that time in the '60s, there was a lot of irresponsibility with drugs and lifestyle. Tony also mentions the GTOs, which is a group that Ms. Christine was a part of. The only people that I recall having at the studio were the GTOs, which were Frank Zappa's Girls, uh, Girls Together Outrageously, a group of uh, groupies, in which uh, one of them was uh, Pamela DeBar, who uh, wrote the book I'm With the Band, and I, I was in the book. I, I, she referred to me as the Teen Dream. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went, I went with Pamela for a while. I, she'd come home and say, oh, yeah, I was with Mick Jagger today. And our eyes would visit Warren Beatty or uh, Waylon Jennings and, uh, yeah, whatever, you know. 
And I was 17 years old. I was very impressed, you know. <laughs> All right, the GTOs were hanging around a little bit. Tony left out somebody. He said that was it. But according to Moogie, there was another person that was around a little bit. The nice thing was that Tony Sales' girlfriend was Nancy, the woman who married Brian De Palma, Nancy Robocop, what was her name? Nancy Allen? Nancy Allen, that's her name. Okay. So she was Tony Sales' girlfriend. When we had run, and it used to be around all the time. She went to my high school, Quintana School for Young Professionals. So that was the high point of run, that, that Tony Sales had Nancy Allen for a girlfriend. <laughs> Sounds like Tony had a couple girls around at the time. Here's some more commentary from Tony about Paul Fishkin and Mr. Grossman. Uh, I don't remember his involvement with the recording, other than he was uh, very close with Todd and uh, sort of acting as a, an assistant for Albert Grossman in management in, in, a, in some kind of capacity, as I, as I recall. The Grossman wasn't involved at all. Well, Grossman, yeah, Grossman was, was tight with Todd. I mean, he, he, uh, we'd go over to his home in, uh, Bearsville and, and Todd would tell him what he was going to do and what he wanted to do and whatever. And Albert was very supportive. He knew when he had a talent, you know, he was a good manager. All right. There we go. That's some of the recordings. A big question when people look at Runt, there were two albums that used the word Runt. That's the first and second. Was Runt the name of a band? Was Runt the name used for Todd Rudgren as a nickname? Or was Runt the name of just the album for some reason? So it's hard to figure out even after talking to a few people about it. So I'm going to let you make your own decision on that. Apparently, the consensus for most of them was that it was a band. And they did do some shows. That apparently, it was about three. So we're going to hear a little bit about those. First up's Moogie. That's going to be followed by Hunt Sales then Tony sells, and then Moogie's going to tell us a little bit about a live performance, something Todd wanted to do for this Runt tour. All right, here we go. Is the album a group album or a Todd album? Was it a Todd solo album? It wasn't a group album, but there was a band called Runt promoting it, but it was a Todd Rundgren solo album. It wasn't a group album. It, that, that Runt record was... At the time, it was his record. We were there to do our bit, you know, to play with him and, and back him up with plans to do to do some shows and, and to move on and do other things with him. And like I said earlier, uh, sometimes what sounds good, the reality, it changes. So um, it's just the way it goes. Uh, it's, you know, it was his trip. And I was aware of that at the time. It's not like it was it was not a band, though it was a uh it had a feeling of a band because of the involvement and, and the um the connection we had as friends and as musicians. Now did you think Runt was a band or the name of the album? I figured it was the band name. And I also knew it was the name of the album, but I it was we were calling it uh, the band Runt. When we did uh gigs we were going to be called Runt. I uh, see. So did y'all get to do some gigs? We did uh, a few. I think it might have been Todd, Todd Rundgren's Runt, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we did uh, some gig. We did a gig at the Bottom Line in New York. We did, uh, I don't know, let's see, where was the other one? Uh, there are only a couple, right? Yeah, the only couple that we did was Runt. And okay, so how did he decide if if, if it was a band... You know, you had all these different people that performed on the album. Who who consisted of this uh, band that played on these two shows? It was you and your brother. It was uh, Hunt and myself. I think it was Moogie Klingman on keyboards. Okay. You know, I think that was it. It was Moogie and Hunt and myself and Todd. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it, I believe. Todd had us paint all the instruments into vegetables. He turned the drums into an apple. He turned the the organ into a holy bible he had us paint we had to do it ourselves he wasn't a star yet we had to paint on on the organ holy bible i don't know what the point was but we just wanted to try something different i guess you know this was for the for the but show. you know the interesting thing about todd in the first run at the village gate was todd was a he had never performed as a frontman before and he wasn't very good he just you know he, he was really shy he couldn't really get his thing together 
It took him between then and coming back with a few more uh, bands. Okay, so there you go. You make your decision on what you think runt means and let me know. All right, we're going to move on until our final segment, which is about the breakup of this quote-unquote band runt, or whoever it was, or whatever you want to call it, that was touring Todd Rundgren's runt, however it goes. We're going to hear from Moogie first. The reason Runt died and then Todd was reborn is it was too early. It was too early for the Hunt brothers. It was too early for Todd. They didn't have enough grit under their fingers to, come, to really do it. And then they woodshedded, and Todd had Utopia, and Tony and Hunt had Tin Machine. Right. And eventually they both, you know, fulfilled their potentials. Right. Uh, just not when I was in Runt. It, it was so bad I had to quit. And I went to, I did my solo band, and then Todd took those guys. <laughs> All right. So that's why Moogie left. Now we're going to find out why Hunt Sells left. According to the, this book about Todd, it, and I know you were 15 and your brother was 17 or 18, that yeah. you guys weren't real keen on the ballads. That wasn't your thing, and that's maybe part of the reason why you, all y'all didn't really stick around or, or want to be in a band with Todd. Is that true? No. No? No. I thought some of the ballads, this is an opinion, some of it was a little schmaltzy and loungy, which is okay. You know what I mean? Sure. I think it's a matter of opinion. That ain't why we stuck around. Someone's a tortured artist, and um, I'm trying to put this, uh, how I can put this, have their moods, you know, and their problems. Well, the same now as the same then. I don't whether it's the time of the month and they're on the rag or whatever. Thank you, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's fine. But uh, my world doesn't begin or end with anyone that I've played with or will work with, and that doesn't mean to diminish them in any way, shape, or form. You know what I'm saying? Sure. There's life before Todd. And there's life after Todd. So, um, like I said, I started playing at six years old. I, I've been in the game for a long time. I don't know what that makes me, but um, it was, you know, it was some of that experience working with him was was good. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like I said, he's very talented. I've learned some things from working with him. I, I learned an awful lot. All right, that was Hunt Self. And for our final conversation with some of the folks I interviewed, we're going to listen to Norman Smart one more time. And then we're going to come back, and I'll wrap it up, and then we'll start taking some calls. We just did it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it was some major project or something. We just played music. Yeah. You understand it was that? We were all musicians and singers, and we just got together and played. And with Todd running the show, he would just get the best out of you and and put it all together, tell you what to do, and put it all together, and it ended up something good. Yeah, well, it was a good, good. So you were pleased with the album when it was released? Yeah. Well, I was always pleased with whatever Todd did. I mean, half the time I didn't understand what he was doing. <laughs> What do you mean by I mean, that? I, uh, at, at, the, at first, you know what I mean? Later on, when the years went by, you know, it started making more sense. But Todd was an engineer before musicians started to be engineers. You understand? Sure. We, we just played music. We never really understood what making a record was in, in the technical sense. But he always did. You know what I mean? And and uh, I think he taught thousands of people how to make records. I know I learned a lot about making records from Todd. I learned a lot about making records by working on that record and working with Todd. I know Hunt and Tony learned a lot about making records from working with Todd. You can't work with him and not learn something. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like a, he's like the world's best teacher. 
he's he's really quite something. And he ought, he ought to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. No question. They just you know that thing's a joke. Really, I don't think he cares about getting in it. Really. Well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't care about stuff like that. Yeah. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that review. You know, there's plenty of information available in the liner notes of Runt. If you don't have the CD, be sure to get you one. Or you can go to trconnection.com and join the forums and do a search for Runt liner notes, and you can read all the information about other people who are involved in the album. Then you can get the lyrics for all the songs and find out a little bit more about the album. Okay, you're listening to runradio.com. Live online talk radio for Todd fans. This is rungrenradio.com.